You're listening to audio from Grace Hills Church in Aliso Viejo, California. For more information, visit us online at gracehills.com. My wife, Annette, who you just met, and I, we have been praying for people that we've never met for over 20 years. Uh, we have this kind of habit and routine that uh, as we pray and we think about our boys, which we have uh, three amazing young men in our, in our house that we love, that God has been growing. Ever since the first one was born, he was, he's 20 now. So for 20 years, we've been praying for these people that we've never met. We've been praying that God would do something amazing. And the amazing thing that we want God to do is to bring us amazing daughter-in-laws. Uh, yes, we are big fans of that. We know that uh, a daughter-in-law can make or break the amount of time you get to spend with your kids, the amount of time that your kids want to spend with you. We know that that has the ability, uh, if they love Jesus, to spur them on to chase after Jesus. We know if they don't love Jesus, that has the ability to spur them off of loving Jesus and what that would look like. And so we also want to be a family that gathers and connects and spend time together. So ever since uh, the kids were born, we've been praying that God would prepare the hearts of the young women that they would bring into their lives. Last night, I was praying in my hot tub, and I had prayed specifically for each one of my boys and the kind of woman that God would bring. It's important, because someday, here's the thing, like, my wife and I pray for our boys all the time, but there'll become a point where these women will take that gauntlet, and they will be praying for their husbands for the rest of their lives, and we want that for them, and we know that we're not meant to do this alone. My grandmother, my grandma Price, never met her. She knew that my mom was pregnant and she started praying over my mom's belly. She started making a quilt for me. Unfortunately, she passed before I was born. But one of the things my mom told me is that Grandma Price prayed for you all the time, that you would know God and that you would serve God with all your life. And my Grandma Stuart, who I did know, did that in front of me all the time. And the reality is, is that people that didn't know me prayed for me and you're reaping the benefits of where I am today because of that. It's weird when we pray for people we don't know, right? That's kind of a weird thing. You're like, I don't know you. I don't know anything about you, but I'm praying for you. I had a friend that I worked with and uh, he worked in the office and I, I never met his wife. Uh, and, and she ended up finally coming to a company party and I met her and I said, wow, it's so nice to meet you. All I've ever known is that your name starts with dear Lord and ends with amen. That's all I've ever known about you my whole life. And I said, but we've been praying for you. You ever wonder why we do that? Why would we spend time praying for people that we have no affiliation with, no connection with whatsoever? Well, it's, the answer is simple. People matter. Out of everything in this world, everything will fade, rust, fall apart, break down, thrown in the dumpster at some point. But only people will last forever. The Bible tells us that we are eternal in our souls. Now, where we spend eternity is different, right? We ask for eternal things from an eternal God. That's who we petition when those things happen. And as we continue our series on prayer today, I want to make a shift. We have looked at all these different ways that we can pray, and we've really been going through the Acts model of prayer in reverse, I know, it's weird, I could have done this differently, but I didn't. And we have looked at whether that's uh, you are asking for forgiveness in the confession part that we looked at David last week, or maybe it's asking in supplication for a child like Hannah did, or it's the Thanksgiving prayer that we saw with Daniel and what took place. But today we're going to look at the act of prayer in a different way that is directed towards other people. 
taking the focus off of ourselves and looking outside of our own lives. Paul prayed for many people and many things all the time. Uh, if you look at his letters, he's always saying, I pray for you, and I, he ends with prayers, and he throws prayers in the epistles. He's a man who prayed because he invested in people's lives. He was always investing in lives. And the mission of seeing people saved is what mattered to him most. As the Lord Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, said, go, you're gonna be my witness he took that seriously and he committed his life to being the man that God had called him to be. And as he's lifting up prayers, he's, he's talking about struggles. He's trying to encourage. He's correcting at times. But the section that I want to look at is even different than most of the prayers that Paul prays because it's so unique to the situation that he was existing in. If you have your Bibles, I would love for you to turn to Colossians chapter 1. That is going to be the section that we're going to be in. Uh, you might be new here and you don't have a Bible. Um, oh, by the way, my name's Simon. I'm the lead pastor here. I think I forgot to introduce myself, so how rude. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the seats in front of you. Those are brand new Bibles. They're ESV Bibles. If you don't have one, we'd love for you to take one as a gift and have God's Word. Uh, but we preach out of God's Word here always, and so that would be helpful for you. So I'm going to be in Colossians 1, and I'm going to read verses 9 through 14 is where we're going to be this morning. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bringing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let me pray and then we will talk about this prayer and start to break it down. Lord Jesus, I thank you for Paul. I thank you for his heart for the mission to take the gospel forward to every nation. I love that he doesn't even care who's doing it that he's never even know, he doesn't even know them, but he's praying for them that God would work through their lives and through their faithfulness. Lord, I ask that we would be men and women that looks outside of ourselves, that lift others up in prayer as well. There's nothing wrong with praying for ourselves and our circumstances, but we're also called to be a picture of you, Jesus, that you would pray for us, that you would see us in our need, that you would lift us up. Lord, let us be like that. I ask that you would open our eyes and hearts to your truth today, and you would use this to encourage us as we walk through this world. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So here's the thing that makes this prayer so interesting and so unique, and I kind of slipped up in my prayer and kind of gave a spoiler while I was praying, but the reality is this. Paul did not know these men and women from Colossae. He didn't know them. He had no idea who they were. He didn't plant this specific church. As a matter of fact, the closest church that he planted was about 100 miles away from where that was. As a, we know that a man named uh, Epaphras was the one who planted the church. He's the one that did it. He knew Paul somehow. We don't know how he knew Paul, but he knew Paul. Uh, Paul was currently in prison at the time of writing this letter and giving this prayer. 
Epaphras knew that, so he went to go visit Paul in prison to encourage him. Look at what the church is doing. Look at how the gospel's spreading. Look at these men and women, how they're faithfully observing God's word and they're following him and they're proclaiming the gospel. So he went to encourage them. But as he was doing that, we see that Paul gets all excited. He's like, this is great. And he's like, I'm gonna pray for them too. But it also moved to the point where he decided he was gonna write a letter to these individuals that he had never met. Well, what drove Paul to doing something like this. It's kind of a weird thing. Like, why would he do this? One, is that they were brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. They were Christians, which means that they were a part of our body. They were part of us. As Vin Diesel would say, they were part of family. That's what it's about. It's about family, that they are a part of our family, that we have been united not by the blood of our parents, but the blood of Jesus Christ, which as eternally will last forever. So we're connected in that way. Two, as Epaphras told Paul of what was going on, he was A, encouraged, but B, he was concerned because they were having to deal with a lot of hard things in that city during that time. And so we see that he has a care for them as well. And three, let's just be honest, Paul is a pastor by nature. He has a heart for the church. He has a heart for church planters because he was one and he has a heart for planting churches. He has a passionate interest in this, that he is a missionary focused on the mission. And like I said before, he doesn't care how the mission is being accomplished it's through him or through somebody else. He wants the mission of God to go forward, which is that there is a God who loves sinners that have fallen from him and his son died on the cross, gives them new life, absorbs their punishment so they can be connected to the God of the universe for eternity. That is the mission. And the small church was dealing with a lot of interesting things at that time. There is false teaching that was going around that they were having people saying things that weren't true. If there's one thing that I've learned. Church plants are magnets for people with, and I'm gonna say this very kindly, interesting ideas and opinions. That's my nice way of saying it. And they wanna come and they wanna communicate whatever interesting idea that they have. And this is no different, that people are coming and say, no, no, Jesus' death wasn't sufficient. It wasn't enough to cover everything. And there are some people that were teaching this idea that they should be worshiping angels during that time. That's not an unpopular thing that I see all the time here today. People are praying to angels and there's this angel worship thing. That's a thing. But there is also this very strong culture in Colossae that was trying to move people away from standing on the gospel in every aspect of their life and assuming that there was some other way that was better or more efficient or more sufficient in doing that. And he starts to tell him, he says, I'm, I'm so thankful for you guys. So I'm so appreciative of all of you. You've been advancing the gospel. You are seeing men and women come to Jesus. You're seeing people get baptized. You are being faithful men and women. He's like, and since the day I have heard about what has been told me by Epaphras, like, I haven't stopped praying for you. I'm, I just want you guys to be encouraged and grow and know that there's people rooting for you and cheering you on. It is, I've been lifting you up to the God of the universe. Now, you may not be able to tell by looking at me, but I used to do a lot of races. I've done uh, bicycle races and I've done triathlons and mountain bike races. And I've done those like, you know, the, the cool hip tough mutter thing where you're like, I got to get muddy to show that I've done something. I've done those races. And you know, it's funny. Um, the harder they get is usually just add more length to them. 
Like, oh, you know, three miles was enough. Let's make it five. Let's make it 10. Let's make it 12. Hey, how about a 20-mile race? She's like, really? 20 miles? Why? And so you start going. You know what happens about halfway through? And anyone? Thank you. Thank someone. Yes, you get tired. It's hard to run those races. And there's this weird thing that happens in races. I don't know why it works. I don't know why people do it. But it does something. Here's what they do. They just start hitting a bell. I don't know why this is making me want to run faster. This makes me, and, and I'm not doing my Will Ferrell impersonation, and I, I do like Blue Oyster Cold. It's okay. But the reality is they just, they ring these bells, and they're like, you can do it. You can do it. Come on. Let's go. You can make it. Keep pushing. What are they doing? They're being cheerleaders. They're trying to put gas in your tank to keep going, to keep moving on. Because here's the reality. Being a Christian in a world that doesn't love Jesus and is pushing against you is tiring. It is exhausting. And at times you want to give up because you're like, I don't even know if anything's even working anymore. And Paul has his cowbell. He's like, you can do it. Don't give up. God is working in your life. And that's really what this prayer is. And maybe you're in that spot. Maybe you're like, I feel this way, Simon. This prayer is for you too. He's ringing a cowbell for you. He's saying, keep going. You can do it. As a side note, it's just really neat to see that we're talking about engaging the God of the universe. All powerful, all knowing, all present holds life and death in his hands, and yet we can go to him with every and anything in our lives. And not only that, he wants us to. He wants us to engage. He wants us to bring everything to him. And, and what I love is God loves when we start praying the same way that his heart feels, that he, he's, we're praying for others that they would have endurance to carry on. That's what God wants for us. He's saying, you're becoming like me when you pray like this. You're reflecting who I am. You're understanding what's most important in those moments. And I, what I want to say is, when we pray for others, when we lift others up, we are modeling the character and the nature of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Why? Because he saw us when we were in need. He saw us when we were dead in our sins and trespasses. He saw us when we were far from God. He saw us when we were under the wrath and penalty of God. And he did something. He came down to earth. He lived the life we couldn't live. He took the punishment that we deserved. He loved us with his whole life. And we even see before that even happens, what does he do in John 17 in the high priestly prayer? He prays for us. We are modeling the character and the nature of Jesus when we pray for others. We need this in our life. This is for every Christian. And ultimately, for those who don't know Christ, if you're here and you're not a believer, thank you for coming. We're glad you came to worship with us this morning. That at the very end, we see an outline for who Jesus is 
and what he did in our lives and how we can obtain the same thing. So hold, bear, bear with me as we get through it. So the first thing he wants to talk about is knowledge. We have been talking a lot about the importance of knowing and understanding truth, knowing your Bible. You're gonna hear this more and more and more from me all the time, that we can know truth because we have God's word. We have this, we can hold to this, okay? And he's saying that there are these three things that I want you to understand when it comes to knowledge. The one is, first one is the knowledge of God's will. He prays that they would know God's will. We pray all the time that you would know God's will. And maybe you're kind of like, you know, Simon, I've heard that my whole life and that just frustrates me. It's a weird statement. And I always say, if I knew God's will, if he told me what to do, I'd just do it. But he doesn't and I don't, so I can't. You ever feel that way? Just me? Am I the only one? Okay. You're great. Um, or you, maybe you say things like, I just wish, I just wish I knew the will of God. Maybe some of you are like, there's no way we can know the will of God ever. Well, let me tell you something. You can. You absolutely, 100% can know the will of God. And Paul knows this as well. And that's what he's praying for. At the core of understanding God, you will need to know what his word says, won't you? You need to know what truth is. If you never crack your Bible, go, God, I keep asking for help, but you're not telling me anything. So we pray as us communicating to God, and then how does he communicate back to us? Primarily through his word. He can do it other ways, but this is the main way that he communicates to us. If we don't know his word, how can we know his will? So I'm gonna have a bunch of verses up there. They're on the screen right now. Um, you can look those up later. I'll paraphrase a few of them, but the reality is this is, ver these are verses that tell us the will of God. Mark 12, 30 through 31. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, right? So we know that that is what God has called us to do. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, probably the verse that I quote the most from this stage. Get used to it because it's going to keep happening. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you until the end of age. And then Acts 1, 8, it's the promise of the Holy Spirit, right? He says, what are you supposed to do? You're going to take the message of the gospel where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That's the will of God. You can go to John 17, look that one up, look up John 15. This is all the will of God for your life. That's what he wants for you. Here's the problem that I run into. When we talk about the will of God, you know what we talk about? I want to know my specific in my life, the will of God. Who am I going to marry? Where am I going to go to school? What house I should buy? Where I should live? How, you know, what clothes I should wear today? How should I cut my hair? Like We want these, all these specifics. And then I'll do God's general will. You got it all upside down. And I tell you, specifically young people, if you want to be in God's will, if you want the specifics of God's will in your life, just do the general will of God. Do what he's called you to and all the other things start falling into place. They all work out the way they're supposed to. He will bring the right people into your life. He will take the right people out of your life. He will show you where to work and what to do based on his will. If you just hold to the general will of God, it is all gonna work out. See, being rooted in the will of God keeps you on track. 
It keeps you on the rails. It's the guardrails of life. If I'm, I'm just gonna keep doing this and God's gonna open up the doors and present the things that need to come in that way. The second is there is a knowledge of spiritual wisdom. And what do I mean by that? There is a knowledge that is spiritual in nature that is very specific to, to that. It only comes from God. There, there's a knowledge that only comes from God. And we can have this understanding, but the problem is we have to have the Holy Spirit. The only way to have the Holy Spirit is to have Jesus as your Lord. If you have been saved, he gives us the Holy Spirit that holds and keeps us. Uh, we learn about this from Paul in 1 Corinthians in 11 through 13. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand all things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. See, we can know the things of God because he has given us the spirit of God, which can understand the things of God. Now, you're like, that's a lot of things, who remembers reading the Bible before they were saved? Anyone? Um, I was so confused. I had no idea what I was doing. I'm like, I read this, I'm like, I don't get anything that's going on in here. And then I get saved. Now, I'm still slow, so it took me a while to learn. But I started to understand the things that were in the Bible because the Holy Spirit started interpreting all those things. That's why John 14, 26, John 16, 13 talk about it's the Spirit that interprets the Word of God. And so I was able to understand God's Word. Why? Because the Spirit of God who understands the thoughts of God resided in me, which then gave me the ability to understand the spiritual things of God. See, he wants to encourage me. Like, you can know God's will, and you can know what God wants for your life. And, as you, and, he's like, and I want you to understand it, that you would not just hear it, you would understand and comprehend, and that would move us to our second point, which is this, that we would have life that reflects that. I'm going to say this statement, then I'm going to do a little bit of work so you know what I am saying and what I'm not saying, okay? It matters how you live your life. I'm going to say it again. It matters how you live your life. Now, as we understand God's will, who He is, how great He is, how powerful He is, who we're actually engaging it's going to cause us to start to live differently. The Bible would say that we had an old heart that was dead, that only wanted to live for itself, and that was sinful by nature. And when we came to Christ, it says that he gives us a new heart. That new heart is alive and beating full of blood, and that it actually causes us to live differently. That's the idea. Old heart did old heart things and sinful, broken, dead things. New heart does new things, living things that are different. Now hear me, I am not saying that those good works and living that way is what saves you. That is not what I'm saying. Shake your head yes that you heard me say that. Okay, I don't want to ever be accused. Mark is fired. He shook his head no. It is only by the grace of God that we are saved, by grace alone through faith alone that we are saved, so that no man may boast, right? That's what we hold to. It is not our ability, our good works, our own righteousness that saves us. Never. And it's not our good works that keep us. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. See, our lives are trees. 
and they bear fruit. What I mean by that is the analogy that Jesus would use over and over and over again to describe us, that our lives are represented by a tree, and the things that we do are represented of that fruit. You can tell what a tree is by what fruit is on it. I'm not an arborist, but if I went to a, an apple tree with no apples on it, I would not be able to tell you that that's an apple tree. But in the fall, when I see the apples, I'm like, hey, that's an apple tree. Like, hey, good job, Copernicus. You really figured that one out, didn't you? That's the point. Our lives will reflect who we are and what we are by how we live and what we do. The reality is this. If we say that Jesus is our Lord, that means that he's in charge. That means that we believe, trust, and submit to what Jesus would have for us. The idea of walking is moving through life and how we live, the things we say, the things that we do, our lives are pictures of being changed by Jesus Christ and what he's done in our lives. See, our, our, our lives and how we live are the living testimony to who we are. I say that Jesus changed me, but if I don't look any different, did he really change me? That's the question, right? He says, so if I have changed you, you will look differently. That's what he's saying. And it's pleasing to the Lord. Why is it pleasing to the Lord? Why is it such a big deal? Because all the way back in the garden, what did they not do? They did not trust. They did not believe. They did not follow God for what he said. Every time we live in a way that's submission to God and his word, we are saying, I do believe you. I do trust you. I'm not going to eat from that tree. That's what we're saying in those moments. Our actions give evidence of who we are. They don't obtain who we are. We clear on that one? Okay, cool. The Bible would call all this, these good works. It produces fruit. The, the bearing fruit is linked to this right understanding. So we live based on what we know. If the knowledge is here from God and the spiritual truth is from God, the more we know it, the more we can actually live in that way. The problem that these people that Paul was praying for here is that there was false teaching and that church was dealing with producing bad fruit or even worse, the lack of fruit altogether. You know what's worse than a, than a fruit tree that doesn't produce a lot of fruit? A fruit tree that doesn't produce any fruit. It can do just as bad to not produce any. See, Jesus calls us to a life that is righteous. Ephesians 2.10 would say it this way, for we are his, Jesus' workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If our lives are living testimonies, God has prepared us to engage, interact, and show people who he is all day long with our lives. Now, seems like a pretty high calling. Hey, live like me, look like me, be perfect like me. That seems a little disheartening if you're like me. I'm like, I can't do that. That's real hard. And I think that that's the point that Paul is trying to make in this prayer to these individuals. And so the third point is power and strength. It's impossible for us to do this on our own, Right? We don't have the ability to live this way. And what he's saying is, unless you have the power of God indwelling you, you're not going to be able to live this way. You're not going to be able to live this life and understand what God would want for you. It's informed by this idea like, 
The knowledge of God lived out changes lives, and it has to be rooted in something other than ourselves. So in our own power, what did we create? It's an easy three-letter word. Sin. (laughs) In our own ability, in our own power, we are selfish and create sin all the time. That's what we do. We're little sin factories, constantly making sin because we are broken. So he's saying, you can't. You don't have it in you. And he says, this kind of life that I'm talking about, you guys, it takes endurance. It takes patience. And then he has this caveat, dot, 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 with joy. You're like, oh, come on. Patience is hard enough and endurance is hard enough. Now i got to be happy about this? He's like, I know. It's impossible, huh? He's like, yeah, it is impossible. That's what you need me for. See, the power they need is God in them, the Holy Spirit residing in them. I mean, it's, it's pretty mind-boggling to, to think about the fact that God resides in us as Christians, that he is with us, that he walks with us, that he tells us what to pray, that he interprets the Bible, that he convicts us of sin, that he empowers us to live a life the same way that Jesus did when he was here on earth. You have that as a Christian. That is what we press into. See, the power that they need is to endure the might when people ridicule them. Ever been made fun of as a Christian because of what you believe? It's to show these people love when they're unlovely. You ever tried to love someone in your own power when they are not being lovely to you? It's extending grace when you really want to extend your fist to them. That's really what we need. Like, Lord, please hold back my arm with all of your power, please. It's forgiving them when you want vengeance. Paul prays that they would be rooted in the power of Jesus. That is where your power comes from. It is the heart of the gospel. It's what was extended to you in Jesus Christ. And as we become more and more like Jesus, we will live out who he is, empowered by him, to do what we couldn't do. The same way that we couldn't earn salvation by being good enough. Jesus had to come and do it for us. He gives us his righteousness. We don't earn our own righteousness. Philippians 4.13 is one of my favorite misquoted verses in the entire Bible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I caught a fish. I scored a touchdown. I kicked a goal. I got the deal. I fixed the thing. This is used so wrong. It's like, no, that's not what he's saying. I had a buddy. I love him to death. He watches this sometimes, and he had a motorcycle helmet, and he painted that on there. I'm all, so Jesus gives you the power to jump your motorcycle real far. He's like, shut up. That's not what it means. Ma, that's what you put, though. What's he saying? To live this kind of life, to look like Jesus, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The only way I can live this new life is through the power of Jesus Christ. Knowing that God is doing all of this is actually what brings joy. It's not left to my own devices. It's not left to my own power. It's not left to my own strength. And what it says is that God is actively involved in my life. He didn't just wind me up and say, all right, good luck. 
sin no more. I got to go. I got I to hold the universe together and stuff. No. It means he's with us. It means that he's engaged in our life. It means that he cares about us. He cares about everything that we do. He really does. And that's how we find joy. That's how we can endure, right? Because we know we're not alone. It's amazing what you can do with somebody else with you. We can have joy with being patient because we know that if he is involved, then everything is happening according to his perfect timing. It's not random. And you're like, Simon, I thought this was a sermon on prayer. (laughs) It feels like more theology. Like, what are you doing? Well, last week, we actually took a break in the middle of the sermon and we prayed for confession, right? We did that. Well, that's what I want to do today, but what I want to do is I want to do something different. Do you understand that our prayers have a global impact? They have a spiritual impact? They have an eternal impact? That there are men and women in cultures all over the world right now that are struggling? They're like, well, I was persecuted. Someone unliked me on Facebook. They were persecuted, and someone in their family was murdered. Like, that's different. Like, just different. That's happening today across the world that we have men and women in very dangerous places that are bringing the truth of the gospel to very hostile environments and they are tired and they can be disheartened and they need to have strength in the Lord. And so what I would like to do is I would like us to pray. So we're going to put this next slide up here and this is going to be some of our missionaries that are all over the world right now. Uh, Some of you are like, there's no pictures. Yeah, we can't do that because it's so dangerous. We can't show their pictures. That's the point. And so what I want to do is we may do this kind of like two different ways. Some people don't like to pray out loud, and that's okay. I love you. I'm just glad you're praying. You don't have to pray out loud all the time. Like, it's, it's fine. But some of you like to pray out loud. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take, I'm going to step back just like last time, and we're going to pray for some things. We're going to pray for these individuals. Some of you may stand up and pray out loud. Some of you may pray in the quietness of your own heart and your seat, and both are fantastic, and I'm very excited about that. But I want you to be praying for three different things as we think about that. Pray for the knowledge of God's will in their life. They would know God's word. They would know the will of God and they'd be able to communicate that truth to others. Two, pray that they live it out being a tangible expression of a changed life through Jesus Christ and how they live and what they do. And three, pray for the power of God that they would have endurance and patience with joy to show where that strength comes from. So I'm gonna step back. We're gonna throw those up there, pray for a couple minutes and then we'll re-engage. You know that as we're praying, you can, if you're still praying, you can finish up, that you are actually furthering the kingdom of God. That as you pray for these other men and women in different eras, you are about the mission of God. That you're communicating to the God of the universe for his hand to move over all these areas. And what that should do ultimately in our lives, it should move us to my fourth and final point, which is praise. We've been going through the Acts way of praying, the adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And you're like, what about the adoration? Paul is about to launch into full-blown adoration mode right now. (laughs) And he is about to just talk about how amazing God is and how amazing Jesus is. And I love that Paul is like just, we have to understand who we are. 
Because what he's trying to tell us is this. We have to be reminded of who we are in Jesus Christ. If we're not reminded of who we are in Jesus Christ, we are quick to forget and we are quick to wander and drift and become ineffective. We have to know our identity. We need to know what Jesus accomplished on the cross for us. And if you're not a believer, I want you to hear and understand that when Jesus died on the cross, he did these things and he offers these things if you would confess your sins and believe in him and commit to following him with your life. Here's the thing. He says, Paul says, remember, praise Jesus because you are qualified. Um, if you've ever gotten out of high school and tried to get a job where you make a lot of money, you find that you are unqualified all the time for every single job ever, always. To become a lawyer, you have to pass the bar to become qualified to become a lawyer. You know, there's all these things that we have to, to, uh, to play in professional sports, you have to qualify by beating all these people to get to a place where you meet the minimum requirement. Here's the problem. To be in the presence with God, we have to have the quali- we have to be qualified for being perfect. I have yet to meet that individual. I keep looking. I look in the mirror. He's not there either. I thought he was. He wasn't. You have to meet his perfect standard to be qualified. Jesus, remember that Jesus met the perfect standard of God in everything, in every way. And because of that, if our life is in him, we are actually now qualified as well. To qualify means to make fit, prepared, or adequate, or make sufficient. Because Jesus is sufficient and has qualified us because he has met everything. He says, remember Praise Jesus. You have an inheritance. We don't like to talk to about inheritance because that just means you're going to be in a fight with a bunch of lawyers and all your family members. But who usually gets the inheritance normally? Family, right? It's the family. That's the point. You receive the inheritance because you are a part of the family. You are included in God's family. The Bible would say that you've been adopted into the family of Abraham, right? That's what it says. We are a part of God's chosen people now. The, the idea is that we get an inheritance. We get a reward. We get something. What is it? Eternal life with God in his glory forever. If you've placed your life in Jesus, we receive salvation. The forgiveness. Well, I'll get to the forgiveness of sin part. It says, praise Jesus because, and remember, because you have been delivered and transferred. What what does he mean? You've been delivered from darkness to light, he would say. What he's really saying is you've been delivered from death in your sinful state before Jesus. And when you've placed your life in Jesus, you've now been transferred into life, eternal life, with God for forever. We were a part of this kingdom, and now we're a part of his kingdom. We know that God's kingdom will endure forever. We know that God's kingdom will ultimately win for forever. It says, remember, praise Jesus for redemption. Uh, Salvation, redemption is kind of that word that's used there. Uh, Salvation understood in terms of a redemptive act, especially understood as buying back of a person, the redeemed object affected through the death of Christ, our payment from the merited penalty of sin, the previous owner. What is he saying? That... You were bought back. 
you were bought with a price. And that price, because it says for the wages of sin is death. That's, that's what we earned. Jesus paid that by dying for us and has given us his life. Remember and praise Jesus for forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness, absolution, a formal release from an obligation or debt, especially understood of the debt of sin. Um, you got to love the IRS. Um, but Annette and I, uh, a few years back, we had made some changes in some of our investments. And then the IRS sent us a letter saying, hey, you owe us this many zeros. And we went, oh my gosh, we don't have that kind of money. What did we do to ourselves? And I remember feeling the weight of knowing that I didn't have that money to pay that off. What are we going to do? And I felt hopeless. My heart sank in my chest. God was good. He allowed us to pay those off. And, and, and I remember, but I also remember when those were paid, I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. We can breathe again. That's what he did with your sin. He took the debt. He took the penalty. He took what we deserved. You, you may ask, like, why is this important? Why, why are these things so important to us? Because prayer is really the gospel story. It's the new life we have in Jesus. It's what these women and men needed. It's what we need as well. It's important because it helps us remember the urgency of the gospel is more important than anything that's going on. Our situations are temporal. Everything else is eternal. It reminds us that we're on a mission and that you have brothers and sisters that you've never met that are doing the hard work of taking the gospel to hostile areas so that they would be saved. So we can be a part of their journey, just like we did a second ago. And we get to watch God work. To recap before we finish, when you pray for others, pray that they would know God. Pray that they would reflect on Jesus in their life. Pray they would be strong in all circumstances and pray that they stay rooted in the gospel, which is the praise section of this prayer. See, here's the thing I want to I land with and end here right now. One day, we're going to stand before the God of the universe. We are going to stand before Jesus in his glorified state. And we're going to look around and we're going to see men and women that we've never met but have been praying for. And we're going to stand in God's glory and give praise and honor to him that he was with us the whole way, that he empowered us the whole way, that he gave us his knowledge the whole way, and he carried us to the Holy Spirit. And we will thank the Lord for the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ with our brothers and sisters at our giant family reunion. That is what we get to look forward to. That is who we're praying for. And that is what he offers for the entire world and the entire body of believers. Let me pray, and then we'll move into a time of communion. Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to reflect on how good you are. My prayer, Lord, today is that men and women are encouraged, that they are not alone. As, as Paul prays this prayer, he's really outlined uh, the idea of, of who we are and how we walk as Christians. He's also... 
showing that we have to be rooted and reminded of who we are in Jesus Christ and that the mission takes priority. And then after 10,000 years in your presence, Lord, all the things that we endured will be but nothing but a faded memory. All the pain and the suffering and the endurance and the patience that we will see the joy that stands before us in your Savior. Lord, strengthen the men and women here today. Encourage the men and women here today as you have encouraged Paul, as he encourages the Colossians, and as the Colossians encourage us as we move forward. We love you. We're thankful for you. We pray this in your glorious and amazing name. Amen.